Welcome to a special episode of Tall Poppy. This is episode 16. I'm your host, Tathra Street. Today we talk with my dear friend, Fleecy Millay. She's been performing, writing poetry and songs, and been on stage from when she was a child. So you'd think she'd be free of the nerves and fear that the rest of us with less experience on stage have. Not the case. She tells us how she deals with it and what she learned from Brene Brown about the shame associated with taking up space. She's just completed her third successful crowdfunding campaign, which means that she's making an album of her spoken word poetry. She talks about how she went from being a traveler living on the streets to being a successful performing artist and teacher with a strong following internationally. I have a lot of admiration for her work. Her work's about giving ourselves permission to take up space, to share our stories, to raise our voices. She believes we all have something that will change someone else's life. She provides a facilitated, structured, safe place to shine and share our stories. We talk about the difference between courage and bravery, the shadow side of shining, and what happened when she stopped living her work and speaking her truth from the heart and what came out of that. And at the end, you'll get to hear the poem that inspired the name of this podcast. Have a listen. I'm here with Fleecy Malay, and thanks for joining us, Fleecy. Welcome to Tall Poppy. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's start with a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm a spoken word, essentially I'm a spoken word performer from the UK. I now live in, in Melbourne, but I am... Um, that's where I started. It's my roots planted when I arrived here. And since then I've found myself running one of Melbourne's most acclaimed spoken word events, which is called Mother Tongue. It's a woman's empowerment space. And for the last four years, I've watched it uh, empower and inspire women to, to raise their voices and step forward with their passion, their power, their vulnerability and their honesty. And alongside that, I run courses as well, all about uh, all about our courage and stepping forward with that authentic voice. Who are we when we actually speak our heart to the world? And how does the world change around us? And how do we change when we actually do that and commit to that with ourselves? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and how difficult that is. It's uncomfortable, you know, the, allowing people to sit in the, the uncomfortability and the, the ugh of it all <laughs> yeah. for, for the sake of the blossoming, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know firsthand having met you through your course initially. And, yeah, it is hard. And the way that you hold the space to allow people to step into their voice is incredibly skillful. Mm-hmm. And I really think that there's, there's – a um, and the reason why I've asked you to be on Tall Poppy, one of them, is that I think there's a strong link with what you do in enabling and empowering people to find that that voice, but also um, being able to 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 use that voice in a way that perhaps is a little different than we might normally. So I'm curious as to what you think, how your work relates to leadership. The first person to ever term me as a leader was the very inspiring lady I met back in my first Speak Up course. Her name was Tathra Street. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I was so resistant to the term at the time. Wasn't it teacher? I thought it was teacher. No, you said I was a leader. You oh. said I was a teacher and then you, then you referred to me as a leader not long after that. Okay. And um, That wasn't your first Speak Up course. Oh, was it not? No, was, I think it was the first one of that of that length, but you had done yeah. one before. Anyway, sorry, I'll, anyway. I'll let you go on. <laughs> it was it was well back. It was over four years ago now, mm. and um, and my relationship with that word has shifted a lot from then to now. And I think you're owning it a bit more. What, well, yeah, and also just what I've begun to understand about that word and what it actually means, and to lead. I guess the the the. The vision of leadership I've been brought up with is the person who who stands up there and kind of puts on this brave face and kind of tells everyone what to do. Mm-hmm. And the thing about bra- bravery, the word brave, it comes from um, from the term bravado. That's where the, the etymology of that word is. It comes mm-hmm. from bravado. And bravado literally means to give an impression of fearlessness. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what a lot of people do when they try and step into being a leader. They they step up into this this image or mask of what they think the leader looks like and they play the role of leader and they tell others what to do and they tell themselves what to do and they kind of play out the steps that, that, that or we play I don't know we kind of fit a role let's say mm-hmm. and I think the difference between and that was my old concept of leader of leader and leadership and I think that my what I've come to understand through my work is that leadership comes from courage not mm-hmm. from bravery mm-hmm. And so what the, uh, what's the difference between those two for you? So, so yes, yeah, so for me, I love Brene Brown's. Um, Brene Brown is a, you've probably mentioned her quite a few times already. She's I'm not sure that I have, a, but yeah, I'm a bit of a fan as well. <laughs> uh, she's fantastic. So Brene Brown is a, um, she's a researcher and scientist and storyteller, and she researches um, shame and vulnerability. And her definition of courage is that it comes from the word cur in Latin, which means heart. And so that it means literally to tell the story of yourself with your whole heart. Mm. So when we approach the world with courage, we start from within and we work our way out. Mm-hmm. We, we communicate with our heart and then we, our body and our voice becomes the, the vehicle for whatever's in our heart to come out into the world. Mm-hmm. Whereas brave comes from bravado, which is an external um, thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, putting, it's letting, depending on what we visualize the outside to be, we put on a face to, to appear so, that, so those people feel like we're brave. So those people feel like we're courageous. Mm. It's not actually a courage. And both of them, I'm going to point out that neither one is bad or good. Mm. Okay. But actually, bravery and bravado is an incredible tool that we can use at times when actually perhaps we're not feeling very courageous, but we need to step up in some form mm. for life-threatening or in times when, when actually we need to just show up because we're going to risk something, our job or whatever. And it may be that we need to be use bravado as a tool. The problem is the tool of, of, of the bravado often uses us. So we end up, we end up so caught in the bravado, in the, in the being brave that we, we actually, it's actually just, we forget about the courage. We forget to start in the middle and work our way out. And it actually becomes petrifying to go into courage. Hmm to go into the self, into the vulnerability. Uh, so it's a very, I feel like for me, leadership is about being able to navigate between the bravado and bravery, let's mm. say, and courage, yeah. and really allowing our leadership skills to come from a place of courage as the core. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell that because I feel like when people lead from courage, they don't have to tell others what to do. Mm. They don't have to tell others to follow them. They're not like, hey, I'm doing this, you should follow me. People who are leaders from a place of courage, they step up and do what they, need, what they naturally have to do to make their soul pulse, mm. and people follow them. Mm. So it's more and of so, an inspiration rather than a push. Yeah, it still has, they're still, they're not like, it's not a, not a, I don't have any control of this necessarily, but someone may choose to become a leader, but the, the drive to do what they're doing is an internal drive that comes up as an act of courage, mm. as an act of speaking their heart into the world. And others see that and they want to be, they want to be led by that person. They want to follow that person and be swept up in whatever that person is doing because it also speaks to their heart, to their courage. So now I'm thinking about seeing you as a leader, seeing you lead your courses and seeing the transformation in the people who are taking the courses going from being very timid in their speaking to, you know, getting feedback and doing activities and, and stepping out there outside of their comfort zone and, and, and speaking from a very different place. So can you paint a bit of a picture for people about what you have noticed and the experiences that you've had of people who have, have found a, perhaps a voice of their own or, you know, stepped into a different kind of leadership as a result of, their work with you? Um, it's like watching some, it's like watching a plant blossom. It's not that they, it's not that. So when I see someone come into my class and even if I've, if I've known them before or not, um, they, they come in and they, and off, not everybody, but there are people who come in and they are like meek maybe, or they're timid. Um, 
we're taught that you know that that the you know the meek will inherit the earth or don't be a tall poppy don't shine too bright you know so we're all doing that not everybody but there are people coming in and they've been taught this from from a very early age to be humble to be small and to not to not put yourself out in the world and one of the very key things a lot of people seem to um really relate to that I speak about is the fact that when we stand up on stage there's a fear that if we open our mouth or even just the act of standing there we are invading others space mm. we're invading other space with our voice mm. with our with our words with our presence and who am i who am i to take up this person's time this person's uh, ear space you know i had yeah. i used to have a music who am i to play my music to these people and and like enforce my music upon them and um, which is bizarre because a lot of the time it's something like an open mic night or a stage where people have paid to come and witness the person on stage. So the audience is consensually there. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they've, they've given their consent and actually they want to have you in front of them. It doesn't but stop us from freaking out though. It doesn't stop us from telling that story of shame. And what that is, is it's basically what we end up doing is kind of apologizing for existing on some mm -hmm. level yeah. up on that stage. Um, and what I notice happen with people who've done speak up and people come back, they do. I mean, I've got two levels. I've got verse one and verse two, but if people come and do verse one, three, three, four times. Mm -hmm. And during those phases of, of, of their time with speak up, I see them going from this person who even just introducing why at the beginning of the class, why they're here to do the course. They are, they are in that story of, I am, I am enforcing myself on people who, who don't really want to hear me. Mm. I'm not worthy of really speaking in this time to seeing them become these people who, who not only are comfortable, but are wanting and willing to step up and, and sweep people up in, in their, in the magic of their stories and the magic of their words and take people on journeys. It's not even just an accidental, Oh, your poem was so good that I, I just really couldn't stop thinking about anything else. It's no, I'm actually up there for, to do that. I'm up there to manipulate you in the most positive way to take you on this emotional and physical and, and visual roller coaster. So you get a deeper understanding of my experience or you can see your own experience. Mm. So we can create some kind of connection. Um, these are people who are, who are basically saying, no, I am not going to be afraid of connecting anymore. I'm going to step up and have this connection. So can you talk a bit about what actually happens in your courses and, and how people get from, you know, day one to the final presentation. Have we got six weeks to talk about this? <laughs> so maybe pick two or three, actually the love letters. Can we talk about that? That is a secret one. That's, I'm afraid we're not going to talk about the love letters, oh. but I can talk about the story behind the love letters. Okay, okay. Um, so is it the love letters or the love poems? Which one are you talking about? I think it was the, probably the poems. The poems. Yeah. Okay, so... There's something that happens when we choose to speak our words with the fullness that we actually feel when we write them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to write a line down, like you're feeling really emotional and you write, oh, I love you. Like I love um, the sensation of the sun as it kisses my back, right? Mm -hmm. There's, I, I can feel that and write that down on a page. But then quite often when I go to read it back, it becomes – I love you like I love the feeling of the sun as it hits my back. You know, we, yeah. <laughs> we, we flatten it out. Yeah. And that isn't just because, um, because of a technicality. It's not like the technicality. A lot of people who look at public speaking, they look at how to technically appear like you're confident, which is yeah. the bravado side yeah. of it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas with speak up, what we're looking at is how do we actually make it come from our heart? Mm -hmm. How do we make it an act of courage to speak those words? Mm -hmm. How can we draw the feeling of those words from our heart out so that when we say something, we actually say it with the intent that we meant when we wrote it? The it's actual not feeling just performance and, and coming at it from, I'm going to make it sound like I mean it, but actually authentically coming from the heart. Yeah, actually allowing yourself to drop into what does it what does it feel like? What does it feel like to actually feel um, love or to feel afraid or to feel aroused? Like a, a big one that comes up quite often that people struggle with is is um, erotica and arousal, and women especially will touch on it 
But then when they go to say it, they kind of bring their voice in and tense up and and which is funny because this tense kind of nervous thing is actually the complete opposite of happens when we feel aroused. Mm. When we feel aroused, we 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 kind of go mushy and soft and juicy. And <laughs> there's um, so and much shame around it. There's so I'm not much allowed shame. to have desire or yeah, pleasure exactly. or exactly. And so, what is it if we what what happens in that moment if we were actually courageous enough to stand up in front of others with this story, this this song, this poem of our arousal to share to people who have consensually agreed to want to come and like hear this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, if we were to stand up there and instead of going tense and reading it from this place of 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 tenseness, what if we were to actually allow ourselves? to become soft, to become juicy. Hell, what if we even allowed ourselves to get aroused right there on stage with the feelings and emotions of our own words, of our own feelings, and then tell the audience, tell the people in front of us the words Mm. as if they were being drawn out of us in that moment. And it's a completely different thing. It's the difference between when you're sitting there and you're trying to like, follow somebody on stage and kind of put your little blinkers on and pretend that you can't tell that they're nervous, right? (laughs) There's a difference between that act and when you see someone on stage and everything, your whole existence, your whole being falls away for a moment and all that exists is their story Mm. and you are in it. And for a moment you are them and they are you and everything else is gone until they get to their final word and stop and suddenly you're like, whoa, and you, you kind of shake yourself and you clap and you clap to kind of like break that that all-encompassing feeling. And that is when someone speaks their words from their core, from their heart, mm. and really is has no shame or fear to take you with them. And what that is, is a gift. Mm. It's a gift that they give you. They give you the gift of of coming out I mean, no film director is going to put his film out there with some kind of shame hoping that people don't get too caught up in it <laughs> you know? that's not going to happen and it's the same with it should be the same with our poetry and our stories and our words and when we're public speaking in general when we're speaking to anybody we don't we shouldn't have to feel shame for for taking people into our story it's interesting because i i mean even in my own journey of doing this podcast i have really struggled with that you know is anyone going to like this what's the point um you know in the first uh, you know before we started recording we were naming that yes I was reasonably nervous in my first few interviews and sure I've gotten more comfortable but there's still a lot of that you know who am I to do this and you know all that that kind of stuff and and it's it's just so deeply entrenched but and and even just like listening back to the sound of my own voice and it's just kind of like ah it just it's and and noticing the shame that I have about feeling shame like just you know being like I shouldn't feel this way I shouldn't feel shame I should feel confident you know like all that crap it's just like it's this kind of reinforcing cycle it becomes a spiral it becomes a yeah like a cycle or a spiral that just brings you brings you into it um shame is for me, that that story is so strong for me. Like I know it like back on, I've been performing on stage for over 20 years. I've been doing spoken word now for over 10 years and teaching for teaching it for about five years now. And in that and still now, before I get on stage, I still face all my shame. Mm. Still now, every time I pick my pen up and I go to put my pen on the page, every single shame story that I've ever experienced will flash before my mind and my eyes. Mm. And the difference is that, say, eight years ago, I'd, I'd, go, I'd book in a workshop, feel my shame story and just not show up. Mm. Like that happened. I used to do workshops and just not turn up on the day, but convinced of my shame story that no one's going to come, that what I have isn't worth giving, that like who am I to try and tell people what to do? You know, I haven't got the, I haven't got – a degree in doing spoken word poetry, you know, like, cause they exist. Right. <laughs> I, I heard, I had that whole shame story and I would believe it to the point where I wouldn't show up. And I genuinely feel like I was, um, I, that it was completely right for me to not turn up. And then the next day people will come up to me like, yo, Felicity, where were you? I was standing outside the hall and you weren't there. And even if it was just one person or five people or 10 people or 20 people, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Somebody, 
somebody needed that work that day and I didn't turn up for it. I didn't show up. So what got you from that to where you are now? Oh, I know that's a massive question, (laughs) but, but just, I I mean, just in terms of, you know, helping people who are wanting to, you know, find their voice or put something out into the world, like what, what are the things that you believe have helped you get to where you are? Showing up, showing up as myself. I think the first thing was showing up on stage over and over again in front of the same people every week and, and having to just realize I couldn't keep pretending because I knew who I was off the <laughs> stage. So what was the point in me pretending when I was on stage when they all know that's not who I am really anyway? Mm. Um, and just letting myself be myself. As far as the shame story about like, I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. All that is, is it, for me, it was my understanding of this, uh, is that all that that story is, is my brain doing everything it can to protect me. Mm, the, yeah, the brain the brain is wired it's wired in a primordial way to consistently search for dangers and protect us from them mm. it's survival it's all about survival so um and Brene Brown actually I saw Brene Brown in um in Sydney a few months back um doing a speaking and she was incredible and one of the things that really stuck in my mind that she said was the brain works in stories it likes a brain's brain chemistry likes stories. It likes a beginning, a middle and an end, a resolution. That's why when we listen to music and it doesn't have a resolving note at the end, we kind of feel a bit awkward and it feels unsettling, you know, Hmm. it's the same. Or when like we, we lose a book before like, like 20 pages before the end, you know, it's that kind of like unsettled feeling of, I don't, I can see the pain in your eyes to (laughs) throw in that. To not finish these stories. And so what our brain, does in that moment is it's the beginning of the story is what's happened is our past the middle of the story is where we are right now and the future we don't know we don't know what it's going to be anything from this moment we don't know mm-hmm. anything that so what our brain does is it scans the millions of possibilities that could happen and finds all the ones where everybody hates us <laughs> <laughs> or we die or or somebody that we love decides that what we do isn't cool you know and and finds all of those stories and tells them to us and goes you know you got to be careful because all this stuff's going to happen because it needs to have an ending so mm. it compulsively looks for endings and it compulsively mm. looks for the endings that are going to be dangerous because it needs to protect us so yes in that moment when i'm standing there and i'm about to press send on an email advertising my course and which happened today this is today right and i'm there and my brain goes, no one's going to sign up. No one wants to do it. It's too expensive. Nobody, nobody cares about this stuff. It's not even worth it anyway. And then my finger's getting closer and closer and closer to the send button, and I'm getting tenser and tenser. I take a moment, and I breathe, and I just acknowledge my brain, and I say thank you so much for working so, so hard to keep me safe. Mm. But I've got this. Mm. Nice. And I let go of those stories and I go forwards. Because sometimes those stories are really needed. Sometimes mm. if I keep stepping, I will fall off a cliff, you know? Yeah. There are moments when the brain is scanning for danger and it's actually doing a really good job and it's protecting us and we need it. So to do what, what you just mentioned earlier and to just shame ourselves for shaming ourselves <laughs> doesn't it doesn't doesn't help because the mind's yeah. then continuing that journey of like but if we just acknowledge how well our brain is doing mm. at keeping us safe and then go, but I've got this, yeah. it's like, okay, all right, the brain can just step back for a minute. And like I see it as its own kind of little character inside myself. It kind of goes, it goes, it's, it's like the bouncer outside the club. You know, <laughs> it's like an overzealous bouncer that doesn't want anything too cool to get in or too quirky to get out, you know. Yeah. But then what happens when it gets a bit too, too overzealous is nobody gets in and nothing gets out and the bar goes out of business. Mm. and it would be run dry and so it's about saying hey bouncer you're doing a really great job when i go take a take a break while i press send <laughs> you know press send, I'm, while i press send exactly yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna press send. and i did press send you know and i think that um that's that's really what has shifted it's not about trying to find techniques to get rid of the shame mm-hmm. it's about having a relationship with my shame mm. a healthy relationship with my shame mm, it's a beautiful reminder love it 
I want to shift into uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about mother tongue and what that's about and why you think it's important. So mother tongue is to just uh, let people know what it is. It's a it's a woman's spoken word event that happens monthly in Melbourne, and we have eight open mic spots and two feature artists who we think are inspiring women. Um, only women speak; those who identify as women speak, and it's a mixed gendered audience. For me, the reason Mother Tongue had to exist, there was two two kind of like out there, out the front reasons that I put Mother Tongue up. One was to inspire women and to let women inspire, you know, mm. for let women inspire and be inspired. The second one was to pay women for their words, to remind women that their stories and that their work is worthy of being paid. Yes. So they were my two out front there ones. But the actual core reason that Mother Tongue has to exist and that this work is integral, is that when a woman stands up, or anyone really stands up and shares their story vulnerably with the passionate, powerful, vulnerable, honest voice, as an audience, we cannot help but relate to them, to see ourselves in that person. Mm. So whether it is a detail about their story or just the archetypal emotion, you know, a woman who lost a child in Syria will feel the same pain that a woman who lost a child in Melbourne will feel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, and and the story around it is 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 personal, but that deep ache is relatable. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, when we do that, when we see a woman get up, no matter what, what color her skin, no matter what shape her body, no matter what, what country she comes from, no matter who she loves and what body they have, it, we see ourselves in them. And, we, and I really believe that when we truly see ourselves in another human, we can't actually look at them or anybody who reminds us of them again and not see ourselves. Mm. It breaks down the othering. And suddenly we start seeing ourselves in others. And if we were really able to see ourselves in every other human being, we wouldn't be able to abuse people in the way that we do. We wouldn't be able to lock people off the coastlines. We wouldn't be able mm. to let children die. We wouldn't be able to, to shout abuse of people down the street. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just ourself mm-hmm. in another person. Mm-hmm. And I see Mother Tongue do this month after month after month. Women get up there and they – they blow us away. Women who've women come to Mother Tongue having never been before and just heard about it, having never written anything or spoken publicly before, and they've written their most vulnerable story of abuse and stood up there with an empowered voice and shared it because they knew they knew in their gut that Mother Tongue was going to hold them. And the whole audience is in tears and the whole audience is laughing and the whole audience hugs them at the end and everyone goes with them and everyone comes out of it having had a transformational experience. But what's magical about mother tongue that's different to say a woman's group or a woman's circle that you could go to is it's also an entertainment's evening, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it walks that really fine line between a place that will that will attract people who um, – who would go to an, who'd go to a club or like a gig or whatever, but wouldn't necessarily go to a woman's space mm-hmm. and allows them to step into that depth and that vulnerability in a way that is very accessible to them. But it also takes all the people that would go, normally go to a lot of women's circles and deep process and, um, and workshops and this sort of work, but wouldn't normally necessarily go out to a gig or have like a, a light night out. Mm, yeah, and yeah. brings them into a space where they can also touch something they don't normally touch and suddenly people are united. And it unites people. We have a massive um, uh, LGBTQ community that come. We have a massive uh, like multiracial community that come. We've had women in their 60s come. We've had a 12-year-old feature. You know, it's um, we have women from all over the world that have come and not only featured but stepped up to the open mic or just sat in the audience. And that is the core of this work is it unites people and really allows us to realize that we're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So I'm going to again change gears. Knowing that not everyone lives in Melbourne, of course, people who are in Melbourne, the information about Mother Tongue will be in the show notes. But for those who aren't and, want, and people who want to be able to access your work in a remote way, what, what are the options? So I have a few options. Um, the main one that's already out there is for women and those who identify as, and that is called Courageously Me. And that's a a 30 day online program where we work together on a month of self care, because I really believe that if we want to speak, live courageously to live from our heart, we actually have to start a dialogue with our heart. 
which means we have to at least take a moment every single day to just stop and do something just for ourselves. And that's actually a lot harder than it sounds. It's actually sometimes it's so hard. I resist it for months. And actually, so for me doing courageously me and, and leading courageously me is actually a selfish act because it helps me accountable to doing it myself. Um, and that's, what's really beautiful about the program is it's the idea is it's a light weight. So light time input, like financial input, that, but a massive outcome that you come, you go in for a 30 day journey with these other women, 20 to 40 other women, and you all support each other and you all fail at some point fail. You know what I mean mm-hmm. by fail? It doesn't actually fail. It means you're doing the work. Yeah. We, we all stumble and we all have our successes and we all hold, hold each other within that. And we come out of it going, wow, I just spent a month actually getting to know myself and getting to know what my heart is and what it wants to say in the world. So that's courageously me. And that's, um, so I run that intermittently throughout the year, but I'm also very soon to release, um, some, a writing, an online writing program and an online speak up version as well. So that's going to be coming out within the, the first half of 2017. So i which I'm really excited about. Another another thing you could do is just go to my website and sign up to my mailing list, and then you'll just get uh, you'll get all the announcements, all the updates. <laughs> Excellent. As well as a lot of my poetry and my creative stuff as well, which I want to get to in a minute because you your poem um, it was one of the things that inspired the name of um, this podcast. But before we get to that, I want to ask what your critics say about you. What do my critics say about my biggest critic is myself. And I say all kinds of things to myself that I, that I think are probably worse than anything anybody else ever says to me. But if you imagined um, people outside of yourself kind of going, yeah, what's she on about or what, what might they say? I think, um, the first thing that jumps to my mind is my, is what my fear mind would say. And that is the ones that say, people that might say, oh, she just wants to be the center of attention mm. or she just wants to, um, to, she's, she's kind of stealing all the limelight. And actually like, and I say that because that was the story I was told of myself when I was a child. Mm. I don't actually know if people say that about me anymore. I don't think they do because my relationship with shining has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really feel like that I, I'm now doing it from a courageous place. You know, it's coming from my heart and I'm just mm-hmm. stepping up mm-hmm. and maybe some people do feel like, like that. And if they do, maybe, maybe their own relationship with shining is, um, is in a bit of a struggle. But I think that, um, what's really important to me about when I do hear that is to remember that actually the ones that the, the, everybody has their skill. And most people, a lot of skills that people um, show when they're a child are nurtured, like mathematics or um, music or sports. But when um, performing or being on stage shows up, it's often seen as a put as a hobby or, or often women, especially. Um, I don't know about men because it's not my experience, but women often get told to that they're uh, trying to be attention seekers or mm-hmm. the drama queen or the center of attention. And so it gets shut down. And I, what I think is um, what has changed my shift when I, when I hear those voices around me to be able to deal with them better is actually remembering that, that the, yes, there is a shadow side to shining and the shadow side to shining is the, the searching for attention, the, the sucking of energy. But the other side of it is that we are the ones who are able to take the skills of others and make them accessible to people. We're the ones like Brene Brown has a skill to shine. Mm. If she was just a researcher and scientist, she wouldn't be able to. So what Brene Brown does is she takes all this stuff that's in paper, in paper format, and she draws it out and gives it to us in a way that is completely accessible and and um, and palatable. And and actually, she's the storyteller. And throughout history in different cultures, the bards, the storytellers, the troubadours, they were the ones that would move between villages and towns. And they were the ones that would share the discoveries, the news, um, the ones that would inspire people to also step up and do their own things and to try their own work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so in those moments, I guess, when I hear a critic say something like that to me, which as I say, I haven't heard, but maybe people are just being polite to me these days. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I, I I, that's really what jumps to my mind is, is to remember that. Mm. I, I, I was remembering something um, from, I think it was beginning of last year, where we were looking at 
what you wanted to create for the following year and where you were the, the previous year. And it was, it was a real stark contrast. And I, I wonder if you would give people a little bit of a, a sense of your own journey and sort of what it's taken for you to, you know, go from you know, being where you were in your humble beginnings to where you are now. Sure. So I say that I've been performing for 20 years. I would, I, I was, yeah, I was in amateur dramatics and stuff, but like, Actually, for the like you would talk to me like five years ago, I was pretty much living on the streets on and off um, by choice and living a very, very low maintenance life where I was really afraid of shining and really afraid to make it. I want I hungered it, but I was afraid of it and afraid of the judgments that would come with it. So I arrived in Australia four years ago with, um, I don't know if I should admit this, <laughs> I arrived in Australia with uh, 1,500 Thai baht to my name, which is about, I don't know, 30, 60 bucks, and, uh, and a house share for two weeks. And um, and that's how, I, that's how I arrived, and I had nothing. I didn't, I, didn't, I, know, I didn't know really anybody. I knew some people that I'd met traveling, but I didn't really have any support systems in Melbourne. And um, I guess from stepping into my courage and, and just following my heart and my commitments that I'd made to make poetry my life and to make my art my life, I built up this kind of mini empire <laughs> around speak up and mother tongue. This, the, I like to call it my empire. It's not really really an empire, <laughs> is it? My legacy. I like to. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start up my tongue now. Yeah. <laughs> build up my my legacy of, of of mother tongue and speak up and. Um, all of those things came from from that spark of this needs to happen and just following it. So this kind of art and expression is not something that people think, oh, yeah, I can make a living out of that. But you've done it. How did you do it? Ugh. I know. I love, the, you know, I just love throwing these massive questions at me. How did I do it? I um these weren't on the list that you said at the beginning of questions. <laughs> um how did I do it? I well, my dad's a bit of a diamond geezer. He's a bit of a, a, a dodgy dealer and a businessman. Um and I guess he must have implanted some kind of a business spirit in me. But um how did I do it? So I guess what I'm looking for is is um you know particular skills or attributes was it determination tenacity diligence uh, persistence so, so you know what i am i am a bit of a diy everything kind of person so i i teach myself i think of something i need and i teach myself to do it um and as a startup that was probably my greatest asset mm. uh and now as I'm beginning to expand, I'm beginning to see it as a bit of it's holding me back. Now the mm. tool is beginning to hold me back and I'm going to start delegating more. Excellent. But um, but yes, yeah, so I'm a graphic designer and I'm great with words and I am fantastic at social, uh, at social interactions. So, you know, social media was a breeze for me because I would just whip up a cool poster, stick it online and chat to everyone about it. And suddenly everyone wanted to come to my stuff. But um, I really think that the main I'm going to be honest, my, my real belief when it comes to leadership and especially promoting what you do and getting people interested in what you're doing is that you, the, 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 biggest, the biggest tool that you have to make people want to come and work with you and follow you is you. You will, in fact, you are the only tool that you have. You can make as many Facebook ads, you can make as many posters and flyers or whatever as you want, YouTube videos. But the truth is, if you are not living your integrity, if you are not courageously showing up in the world, people will feel it and they won't be called to follow you. But I really feel, and not, 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 that, not that you won't get anyone following you, but there's a massive difference, mm -hmm. I feel when you do start to show up from that place and they met, and I see it in myself. Like I went through about a year of beginning to not, of not actually living my work. Mm -hmm. Like last, last year I went through a phase of not living my work and I wasn't speaking my truth. And I was actually going into the shadow of my own, of my own work and people stopped wanting to come to my courses. You know, my numbers dropped. They weren't even people who knew me that well. They weren't, it was like, you know, but people stopped coming and then something in me shifted and I started courageously me. And I was like, I need, I did the first courageously me just for myself and something in me shifted. And suddenly I had a, a pre-booked full up course with a waiting list and people were hungry to work with me again because they, because they can see when you are in integrity, 
and when you're not. Mm. And you, the way you put yourself out into the world shifts. So you've kind of answered the, the next and sort of almost final question um, around, you know, when you think of tall poppies, people who are wanting to put something out that they're afraid of, they're going to get their head chopped off. I hear you saying that the important thing is, you know, you are your own best asset and, and being authentic. But what if people are in that space where it's like, I want to put myself out there, but I'm, I, I'm afraid that it's just anything that comes out of my mouth is going to sound like hype and I don't know how to be authentic. What would you say? Then I would say that um, go back to the truth, the, pal- the actual palpable truth story of your experience with something. So if you are doing a course on empowerment or if you are particularly good at um, accounting, whatever it is, you go back to the time that the, what you are taking out into the world has worked for you and you feel into that and you tell people about that. And you speak from that place. It's not about trying to sell something to people. It's about letting people know the gem because you have something. You have something that is going to change someone's life. And that's not a lie. That's truth. Everybody has something that will change somebody's life. You've just got to start actually allowing that through. And so just go. And you know what it is. So you go back. And instead of trying to sell the product, just make available the truth, the true passion and the true inspiration and why you're choosing to do this stuff. And people will see that and they'll hunger for it. Spoken like a true soulful entrepreneur. I love it. <laughs> it's great. So I think it's time for us to um, listen to some of your poetry. Um, and as I said before, the I was was really struggling with the name of, of this podcast and I had some ideas about a name and, and that I found it was taken and everything, you know, near that or that everything that I sort of tried was kind of taken and I was just like, what am I going to do? And then I remember I took a picture of uh, a poppy that was sort of, you know, higher than the rest and I think you commented on it and I think you mentioned at that point that you um, had a poem and then I saw it on a magazine, like the words tall poppy as well. I think it was living now and, um, and then you read your poem to me over the phone and I was just like oh my god that's it so I would love it if you could share that with us as a way to sort of provide that context for why tall poppy sure I would love to she was 14 born with dreams of stardom she'd already mastered the art of slalom to dodge the bullets thrown by the harsh tongues of adolescence her spirit pearlescent Her mind sharp with a curious heart, she was the perfect target for it. She danced, spent her days in trance with the flickering of unreachable stars. They called her Poppy, spent their days trying to cut her down. Eventually, they didn't miss, she split down the centre, caught in the rift between reality and dreams. She fell and hit the ground, and no longer she danced. Spent her days entranced with visions of soaring high and studying grass. She walked smoke-paved paths. They called her Poppy so she'd fall on her ass. But her roots were deep. So she took to the street where her wit could save her from defeat. Arms stretched, her thumb took chart the path. Her backpack carried heavy maps that carved their mark upon her heart. She touched the stars. The fallen ones, just like her. When needles and smoke rings had become the cure, all stretched on cardboard beds, all lost and found in the heart and the head, all called poppy, just like her. Each cut before their prime. Symptoms of a society which just isn't quite right. I mean, when did it become such a crime to shine? Poppy, she stared into the eyes of fallen flowers all doped up on reasons to escape and realised her fate was never headed this way. Her demise had not begun, her rise was on its way and she followed with her eyes as the sun continued every day. You see, Poppy was not her name. She was born a different seed, but Poppy she became when names get thrown by fear and greed. Yes, she was tall. Yes, she was bright. And others, afraid, tried to smother her light, but her heart was not blood red. It was golden like the sun. And she followed its movements from the moment it rose until it was done. She left those streets with a knowing. 
that every fallen flower is a curse, that this world would become infertile if it kept crushing all its girls. She let her back stand up straight, let her petals unfurled. She claimed back her own name and inspire all the world because she is not a poppy. She never has been, but a sunflower growing and she is full of ripening seeds and the thing the thing about a sunflower that's so special, you see, is it's impossible to pass one by without taking a moment to dream. You know, if I had a garden or oh, when I get back home, maybe I'll plant sunflowers just so I can watch them grow. So she lives like this, leaving in her path a trail of scattered sunflower seeds and a field of blooming hearts, each rising with each other to see how bright they can become, each turning to each other, each made of earth and sun. And the truth, the truth of this story is that every single one of us in this room, whether we're a poppy or a sunflower, we all deserve the right to bloom. Ah, love it. <laughs> I wish people could see your face and, and I'm going to sort of paint a little bit of a picture because we, I said before we press record, you know, do you have your top hobby poem available? And you're like, yeah. And what I didn't realize is that it's actually in your head mm -hmm. and that you're not reading it. It's, it's in you and it, it's like your eyes were closed most of the time and the expressive, ah, I just absolutely love it. So, hey, is that <laughs> one of the ones that you've got on a, a as video or? Not yet. No, but I'm planning to very soon. So by the time this podcast comes out, it may well be. Ooh, excellent. Excellent. Oh, there's so many other things that we could talk about, like crowdfunding and, and publishing. It's like maybe we'll just have to have you back at a, at a future point. I would love to come back. Excellent. Well, um, uh, do you have any last words um, before we finish? Uh, any other advice to top hoppies or any other sort of words of encouragement to our listeners? Yes, my words of encouragement are that whoever you are, whatever your story is, whatever you've been through, whatever emotions you have, no matter how worthy or unworthy, yeah, you, the person who's like, oh, I don't know, my, my life's been quite boring. No, you, all of you, you have a story that needs to change someone's life and you have something so worthy to give to this world. And whether that's your business or your heart or your story or, your, or just something from your life that that you can, you can step up and somebody needs to hear your words. You have the capability to change the world. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and to share your, your poetry and your wisdom and your, your, I don't even really have words for it. I, I just feel like you've, you've, it's not just, the thing that you bring it's that you encourage others to do the same and i just think that is so incredibly valuable thank you thank you for popping my um my podcast cherry <laughs> pleasure <laughs> this was one of the first time i've interviewed someone i know really well felicia is one of my closest friends and i'm a huge fan of her work as she alluded to with whipping up posters She's also a graphic designer. She designed both my logo and the tall poppy profile image. And she's also designed one of the tattoos that my partner has. She's very multi-talented and she's one of the most authentic, real humans that I know. And she really lives life fully. I love what she said about how she deals with what happens in her brain when it comes to shame. And yes, we're both big fans of Brene Brown. And when she had the opportunity to see Brene Brown in Sydney, she invited me to join her, and I really wish I could have. She's another one whose work has really had a massive impact on my life and how I see the world and how you know we as humans are in this morass of emotional illiteracy. If you go to Felicity's website, which is linked in the show notes, you'll see a blog post that she wrote about that experience. It's called When I Said Fuck You to Brene Brown. Yeah, she's savvy with the catchy titles too. I recommend getting on her mailing list. She doesn't send out heaps of stuff, only when there's something to say and when there's, you know, dates for her courses and events throughout the year. Um, but although she's been talking about um, giving back more, offering tips on writing and speaking, etc. And when she gets the online Speak Up course, you can find information about how to get to that, which I recommend that if you're not in Australia and you can't do it in person, I absolutely suggest that you, you check that out. 
And she also let me know that the Courageously Me program will run in April this year. And so you can find out more at courageously-me.com, which again, you'll find in the show notes. So what about you? How do you feel about public speaking and sharing your creative work or shining on stage or even behind a mic where no one can see you, but thousands are listening? And like I said in the interview, for me, it's been huge to move through my own crap or with limiting beliefs about taking up space and fearing no one will listen when I created this podcast. As of today, there are 1,327 unique downloads and over 1,800 total downloads from more than 10 countries. And that's the stuff that keeps me going. It's you guys, the listeners. So where have you moved through fear and shame to achieve something awesome? What was that like? How do you relate to the word leader or being called a leader by others? Are you passionate, courageous, vulnerable, and honest? I reckon we are all of these to some extent. But what would it take to up the ante? For you to take it up a notch and dig deep to shine bright. If you feel inclined to share, contact me via email, poppy at tathrastreet.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and what you're getting from this. And of course, any feedback, what you love, loathe, or just like. And yes, I'm asking you to leave a review. I know you hear this all the time, but it really does make a difference to help other listeners make an informed choice to listen or not. And lastly, a quick note on my book. In previous episodes, I've said I'll be doing a crowdfunding campaign to get my book from manuscript to published. That's on hold at the moment. The world has changed since I wrote the first manuscript, and I've changed too. I haven't found that place where it all comes together. And instead of push something out that doesn't have a solid foundation for the sake of a timeline I created, I'm giving myself space to find that clarity before I ask you to support the crowdfunding campaign. Thanks in advance for your patience and support. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another awesome interview. This one's with Didier Elzinga, the CEO from Culture App, where I ask some really curly questions about leadership, power, and authority, and he responds brilliantly. So we'll see you then. Have a great week. Bye.